Hey, so we're talking about mycology and permaculture together equals mycoculture. So what are we talking about? Well, realistically, this is just an excuse for me to answer this question. What connects everything? And I mean everything. I mean, let's go from micro to macro. So when we talk about often the smallest object, when we teach children about science, we often start at an atomic level. And so we're talking about the atom, we're talking about the electrons, and usually we communicate that idea with this. And when I look at this, when I see the smallest object, I tend to, to think about the fact that those electrons are moving. And in my mind, what I tend to see when I think about that is something like this. And it's that spinning structure in two dimensions and I know this is three dimensions in reality, but when you look at it, you're seeing it in two dimensions and it is kind of a flat image, a flat idea, because it's a disc. And, but, but what if this was three dimensional? Well, that's what this is. That's what our sun is. That's what our planet is. It is this layered three dimensional effect of that same exact concept, that same exact visual construct and we see it play out in our universe in all different sorts of ways. This is it in combination. We start seeing it all around us in different patterns. This is both, right? This is that two-dimensional, and then this is that three-dimensional. Have you guys seen this, the Millennium Simulation? This came out years ago. Um, actually, I'm surprised this kind of thing isn't like more talked about, but they did a simulation of what the, what the actual universe looks like, and it looks an awful like roots. This is cannabis. These are brain neurons. I mean, look at this. They have roots. The dendritic pattern of the universe is inside of our brains, inside of the soil. This is a rat hippocampus. Notice something about it. It seems imbued. It seems interactive. It seems like the roots themselves. No, 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 no. So the roots of our thought, the roots of the universe itself, the interactions between the roots and the exchanges of things are happening in micro to macro. This is AMF. And they're also happening in a variety of different ways, right? We see this, this partnership, this interaction, this inside, this outside. And then we look at things maybe magnetically, another, another way of seeing another lens. And we see suddenly the roots, right? The branches. We see these patterns play out also in our bodies with our energy. Our hearts actually have a feel. What all this is, the pattern recognition of a whole, or a holism, or a wholeness. And it's what I would argue is what primarily like makes us human, is this attempt to understand the whole. And that, that can screw us up a little bit, and it can also help us. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we can get over our, our, our tendency to simplify in the wrong way. Because we can make things simple and powerful if we respect the unknown. <laughs> but so it works like a proof, right? We go out and we look for these patterns and we find these linkages, we find these things, and it works for like a proof of the pattern, a proof of the whole. But it is a rep not it's not a representation of the whole. Because understanding the pattern is knowing how things connect. And that's how you recognize function. And that's what actually leads to meaning and purpose for the world around us. But it all starts with that pattern recognition. Actually, if you're an, an educator and you know about schema, like babies, one of their first schema is to grab. And then they develop more sophistication. And that schema, that bundle of behaviors, starts to become fluid and you get fluency. Um, start uh, packaging these things into greater skills. You can hit a baseball. At first you struggle to hold the bat, you know? And so it's like that same exact thing. This is how all thought works. This is how all brains work. And this is how um, even you know, ecosystems work. 
So humans strive for connection, meaning, and unifying theories and patterns for everything. That's, that's really what we are. We're meaning-making machines. And so when we are in the sun, like, I mean, just this right here has so many different patterns in it, metaphors in it, things that actually define what it is to be part of the existence. So everything is bundled. So we try to address it in that way, despite the way we abstract. In Western culture, we suffer from the fact that we abstract so much. We get away, when someone tries to describe a cup, we're like, well, it's a vessel that's usually cylindrical that you keep liquids in for imbibing. And it's like, wait, what? But you go to pictographic languages, like in China, and they go, that's a cup. And they show you a cup. And there's a very different, like, cognitive, like, switchover. Ezra Pound, though he's controversial, no doubt, talks about this in ABC, uh, uh, ABC of Reading. But pictographic versus, like, we have to work against the abstraction machine that we have. We have to work against the way we deconstruct things and compartmentalize things. We've all been taught that through collegiate, I mean, collegiate education is like, let's break down all the pieces into smaller pieces and let's make them argue. That's it? Well, why don't we build new things and make the world a better place? Like, why don't we start from there? So, so yeah, we gotta fight against that abstraction, but can we really address complexity with simplicity? Can we really hope to grasp it all? I think that when we have this conversation of AI, of soil science, of mycology, all too often we're coming up against the limits of our cognitive abilities to grasp. And as we go further with AI, we're gonna have to like make really like strong decisions and like really important decisions about like at what point do we like trust 100% AI's conception of what's happening in the roots and like because the reality is it's like we can't understand that so we either are gonna go all the way technical and map everything out and try to make it all into binary right to be understandable to that system or we honor the mystery of it and we start partnering with the unknown and let the things you probably can see where I'm going with this. Um, so, <laughs> so permaculture, right? What is this crazy thing? So, this is this is my what I see when I when I talk about permaculture. Um, earth care, people care, and future care. And if you're like, wait, Matt, you changed this. Return of surplus is part of future care. Fair share is part of future care. But guess what? Moms give a lot more than their fair share. Moms don't give surplus. Moms sacrifice. And that's just one example of our society. We've got lots of dads and uncles and aunts and nieces and everyone else in between who sacrifices. But that concept of future care encompasses that too. And so I really value that. Someone actually initially was telling me about like, um, like the seven generations concept and how future care really folds much like, um, more readily into that, and then I immediately understood how kids, try explaining to a kindergarten kid return of surplus, or a fair share, it's like, they get, they get it, like, but then they don't. Like, they don't get, it doesn't scale. It doesn't allow them to, like, long-term investment, long-term planning and management, monitoring and adaptation for these. We need to start with that so that people are asking the question, just a simple question, how is this caring for the future? Because return of surplus is too economic. Fair share, the parents will get involved. <laughs> They'll get all political. It's just the truth of where we live. Um, so, so that's why I did that. Ocean is a part of earth care, and that's also part of my definition. I expanded permaculture to include earth rege uh, ocean regeneration, ocean farming, those kinds of things. Um, people care. This is usually like neglected, but it's actually interpersonal, interpersonal, and economic and governance, because those are the things that actually take care of people in our society. We need to take care of ourselves, we need to take care of the people we interact with, and then we need to create socially acceptable systems that actually take care of our communities and create safety nets so that we can care for the future. So this, this is essentially like a condensation of like everything um, that I've been working on for several years. But again, it's, it's a 
This is what happens when you break things down, though. It leaves out so much detail. Um, my books back there on the table have a lot of detail, and the big purple book, um, that's already spoken for, so treat it gently. But, <laughs> but um, you can look through all those. The big purple book is free online. Um, it's 400 pages, it's well, 450 pages, I think, and it's peer-reviewed. It's the first peer-reviewed permaculture textbook, and it's the first one that's been cited for like a global audience since 89. So it's and it's free online, so you can go, like like you can PDF search it, like because that's the number one thing that if you've been doing research in the past 10 years, that has been the greatest miracle ever, the the, the keyword search. It's like, oh. So anyway, I want to give that to you all. I'll bring that up again later. But mycology, so we've got permaculture, we've got mycology. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we think of mushrooms when we think of mycology. That's why we're all here for the most part, right? But it's also some of the more, you know, less known, less celebrated, you know, fungal, fungal partners out there. There's moles, there's yeasts. Um, and they're all around us, and they're already part, deeply part of our culture. As I mentioned earlier, I mentioned before, I had said in an interview, you know what I mean? It's like, the Christian sacrament is fungal. It's bread, yeast, and wine. And it's like, it's like when we start looking at, through the fungal history of our interactions, we see like, we've been honoring fungi and keeping it sacred for a very long time. We just haven't realized and a lot of people think it's this too, right? So there's lab cultures and lab work, but it's also changing. It's becoming more DIY, which I obviously love. And, and it's becoming more like facilitative. Like this is kefir grains. How many people work with kefir grains? Yeah. Do you know that kefir can like eat anything? You can train it to eat things? Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's you know that these grains, so I was talking to a researcher, uh, a microbiologist about this, and he was saying that these grains are found commonly above 2,000 feet of all the heads of all the springs above 2,000 feet all over the earth. So that like, that like pond scummy stuff, that those little like foamy things at the heads of springs, they sometimes form globules like that. And so when the shamans and the, the wise men and women who had their huts up at the top of the mountain were bottling with this fresh spring water, getting this in there with their herbs, the herbs were being broken down and made bioavailable by this. And it was also making a fizzy drink, but she didn't get down in the low end. So, this this is like ancient technology is coming back. So much of the stuff that we like just thought was indigenous is actually mycologically informed and so scientific. And so we're like in this like really fascinating time period of, of reevaluation and, and kind of like getting to know ourselves again as humans. And like mycology, you know, it used to be this sort of thing, but now it's this sort of thing. And that's the, the shift that like, I really want to talk about today, is that shift from it being a specialist, an expert, a I trust the authority, to it being me, it being my mom, it being my neighbor, it being my children. And it's that cultural shift that really needs to happen in permaculture as well. And I really believe that this conference is so special because it shows not just the micro folks, but permaculture and culture in general, how to actually do this stuff. Because, and I always talk about this, it's creating these products, creating these actual things that take part in your life, that take part in you regenerating your body or healing your children or your loved ones. That kind of meaning making, and also body making, right? We're literally forming ourselves. That kind of thing, when it starts getting sewn in to the hearts, minds, and culture, it doesn't come out very easily. And that's what we really need, is to have that biophilia, that recognition, that reverence for the world that we live in. So microculture is what we're talking about. I had fun with this one. It looks almost like a cat, right? I almost put the face on it, but then eh. 
Okay, so, but how, Matt, you, you painted very pretty pictures, many permacultures too, uh, but w where's the how? And like, that's really what I care about. That's why with my programs online, it's project-based, rather than you get a piece of paper, I say, yes, now you can teach permaculture, go. No, 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 I want you to hang out, I want you to talk to experts about your project, I want you to find the problems in your project, I want you to have your difficulties, and then get through them, and then you're like, stronger, and you're like, I'm the expert on that because this happened, let me tell you. And then suddenly we're in a community rather than this like top-down nonsense. And I, I did, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, like I am like 100% through and through a teacher, and I've got all these like things in my head that I had to work through because I hated school. I am a teacher because of how bad it was so that I can be in there and fix it and give kids an opportunity, and adults too, an opportunity to actually correct those paths. I mean, Dr. Elaine Ingham is the only reason that I felt confident enough to really go into studying soil science in depth. She just kept being like, oh no, Matt, you're fine, do that, that. And I was like, no. well, I trust you, Elaine, so I suppose you're right. And it just took time, and, and, and it, it eventually like shellacked in. But, but it's really that how to me um, that matters. So who am I? <laughs> Usually I introduce myself, but I decided to flip it this time around because most people um, have seen me online, they've seen me somewhere, they're like, this guy's vaguely familiar. And, and they don't really know why, they don't even know my story or why I'm the way I am. Um, so I just wanna run through that. I'm not power, by the way. <laughs> Um, one of my high school students that I taught for three years, she was one of my musician students that I never pressured. She drew this during um, one of our classrooms instead of doing music, and we traded. I said, I'll trade you a, a portrait for a, a college recommendation. She was like, yeah. She got in full ride. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, I was a ski racer, so like the whole thing being like out in nature, the silence, the aloneness, like I'm there. Like I grew up there. The patterns and movements of like like contours and everything. I used to do that 60 miles per hour as a kid. Like I I, I broke the speed limit so many times before I was 10. Like that's what all I cared about was going fast, doing dangerous things. <laughs> My son is now making me pay for this. Um, and then I was a musician, and my son also is now a musician. Um, he's 12, and he's like way better than I ever was, which is so wild to see. And he's self-taught, he's unschooled. I, I've always just provided like the best instruments possible. And it's like magic. I'm telling you, if you are thinking about kids, or have kids, or no kids, Provide the environment and choice of empowerment, and you will see unbelievable things happen. Our kids are completely prevented from greatness in K through 12, for the most part. There are wonderful teachers out there, no doubt. But they're like, you need a teacher, you need a good teacher three years in a row to believe you're good at something. Think about that. If you just had a good teacher three years in a row in school, you'd think you were good at English or math or science or sports. And so if that's that much influence, whew, I'm getting chills. It's so incredibly important that we allow the kids themselves to do this rather than them having to rely on maybe they get the good teacher this year. Don't let her go down. So anyway, I was a musician. I was like, I was just ready to get out of school. I just was, I was a crazy musician. My wife um, saw me for the first time I was playing a bass solo with my teeth, and like a week later we were dating and I knew she was my wife. So I was like a wild person. Um, <laughs> I, I play with people like this. Um, that's SNL's house drummer. He's one of my good friends. I write him still all the time. Um, he's the longest serving member of Saturday Night Live. And that's my wife. When I met my wife, all the music stuff kind of dimmed. It all changed. We had a baby, and she got cancer. And as soon as that kind of happened, I was also, I mean, Chris, you probably remember better. I was kind of getting irritated even before then, the travel, right? 
but but I left New York City and I left that band. And when my wife, like, it was, this was right after my first got cancer. And okay, let's get into this. So when you get thyroid cancer, at least 12 years ago, and they do the radiation to ablate your thyroid cells, someone in a suit comes into the room carrying a box like this. And then they drop the box and then they open the box and then they come out. You gotta open the little box inside and then take the pill inside it. They were wearing a suit and you aren't. So my wife had to do this. And then three months later, she had so much melanoma that it almost reached her lymph nodes. And once it goes into lymph nodes, it's stunning. So when I asked the doctors, if the radiation could have caused the second bout of cancer, and then they couldn't eat my eye. And they were looking at this. Oh, no, I don't think so. Um, let me get back to you. And then they like leave the room. It's like, and then later, when you're like, well, how long do we have to wait till the baby comes back to be around my wife? And the first doctor says one month, the next doctor says six, and the next doctor says three. Fire, deep burning fire is what I felt for years. I was, I was angry. And I mean, like I was a DIY guy, I was a musician and I was kind of a punk rocker and stuff, so I had that capacity. I was still always kind of a go, like, you know, happy guy. But I got really down, really depressed, really pissed off because the medical industry that like, I was like raised to believe was like, well, they're figuring things out was like, they had no flipping idea. They're reading off scripts and they're contradicting each other. And so it became really obvious that um, I, we couldn't trust them and we had to do our own research. And so that went into a time period of, of years of like searching and studying. Over that time period, we had our second son. Um, it was like very difficult, she had no thyroid. So there was no certainty that we could have a baby. It wasn't medically proven that you could have a baby without a thyroid at the time. And so um, that was like very difficult. Um, and, and we're just really lucky to have all of her. Um, and so it was like a time period of, of fragility for me, of like ups and downs and feeling completely powerless and feeling like the world that I live in is totally there to mulch me. And the systems that we have, yeah, I remember history class. I read People's History of the United States. It's messed up. But then to have it like kind of come home with you and then like try to kill your wife really settles in. And so I, I, I basically, all the education that I'd ever had that I wasn't using, all the training and all that stuff, like started like flooding back because I just had no chill. Um, I, I, I had to do something. And so I started, um, when we moved out west, I left that band. I became a school teacher. I, I was working in LA for a little while with Dave Jordan, Jane's Addiction, Brian Eno's protege, that whole thing. Um, but, but again, I went on tour. And when I came back, my son was, was potty trained when I left. He was not when I came back. And so I realized my role as a parent really was that I needed to be there every day. And I also needed to be there to support my wife. And so I became a full-time teacher. I, was, I subbed for a few years first and then became a full-time teacher. I was a crazy teacher. I did you know, all sorts of things. I taught all sorts of things in English context. People are always asking always, how is this English? I always had a rationale backing it up. Um, and in that time period, I became really into food because I realized that food was the linchpin that I could control. Food was something that I could um, get the best of because I could grow the best of. And so I got, and you know, if you want the best garden, you gotta have the best seeds. So I became really into seed saving. And as I got deeper into seed saving, I got better and better at gardening. And I was also able to afford organic food really for the first time. So I was able to grow it. And I was a high school teacher. I mean, I was a high school teacher in Madera County, which is the sixth most violent county in North America. And on top of that, they don't pay you well. <laughs> So like other teachers would be like, oh honey, you're in Madeira? <laughs> what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, 
I guess not getting paid. But I live 15 minutes from the house. Uh, I mean, uh, my house is 15 minutes from the school, and it was like four generations on one property. So, so it was, it was, it was good for what it was. So I got really into it, and I started growing things that weren't uh, considered possible because I started applying permaculture and um, like Carol Depp's like scientific gardening kind of stuff. All right, here we go. I am that tall, and that's all throw-so. So I just threw that and walked away. Seeds know way more than we give them credit. These seed growers are treating them in a way that is like the way standard American diet works. Where we're giving them everything they need and way more. We're giving them like way too much of like certain like fats and you know like we're like overfeeding them in the wrong way. We're not stressing them out, we're not getting them to do things like they used to. And so our seeds don't do amazing things. But I'm here to tell you that seeds are like bundles of like possibility. And they can do so much more, especially if you know the history of the seed you're dealing with. Because then you can like ask it questions and then the answers you get are incredible. So right here is a question I asked. So I threw those seeds over this, um, this bear patch at the, at, the, at the end of the early spring. So there was like two more rains. And this is in Central Valley, California. So I threw the seeds there, and this is a few months in, and it's green. The soil's 140 degrees, two inches deep. This is growing without water all the way, and I think, do I go show it later? Uh, yes, I do, okay, well, I'll save that. So, so I was growing, I'll get back to the end of that story, but I was growing this in crazy heats, crazy stuff that's going on, proving what's possible, and then I wrote a book because I took Jeff Lawton's PDC, and I was like, wait a second, every middle schooler in America can learn any of this information. This isn't hard. Why are we teaching it to people who are retiring, going on to like looking for land and looking to you know, maximize their retirement? Why are we you know, focusing on 20-somethings that are just getting out of college when this information is sixth, seventh, and eighth grade? So Jeff Lawton gave me uh, his blessing and I started working on it with a bunch of other people like Dr. Lane Ingham and I made, and this is embarrassing, right? I made as much money as I make in a year in 30 days on Kickstarter as a teacher. I know I didn't make much after tax, but it's okay. Um, and so it, it, my, the, those books came out, those are the first books I, um, that I released that were in demand. <laughs> I, was, I wrote science fiction, I wrote a visual music theory book, I wanted to be a writer, and I had given up. I was like, there is no way anyone's gonna like my writing. I'm just gonna be an English teacher and be a failed writer. And then like, lo and behold, I'm modeling kickstarting business plans and design for the kids so they do their own businesses. Like literally, I created like this to model what to do and I was like, this is a good idea, Jeff Lund, hey, let's do this. And it just blew up. And so, and the kids were all like, why are you still here, Mr. Powers? <laughs> you know you don't have to work here now. And I was like, it was surreal. It, it, it felt kind of like I was leaving my children though, because I love my, my kids so much. Um, but I'm, I'm still connected with them all. They're, uh, my, my, my high school students are all like graduating college now, and like, yeah, it's wild. So my books went all over the world. They're, um, I created an online course uh, to pair with that, the first K through 12 online course for permaculture. Got translated into many different languages. Um, it's in Arabic, Polish, French, Italian, Spanish. Um, and then I came out with um, what is probably considered uh, my greatest work. Um, though I think Unstoppable Enthusiasm has some stuff to it. Um, the Permaculture Student 2 is basically Bill Mollison's textbook updated and expanded. And people are like, how can you say that on the internet? And I'm like, okay, there's no ocean regeneration in Bill's book. Let's start there. And then the mycology, come on, 
It was 89. Let's give him a break. It's okay, it's okay if he doesn't know everything. It's 89. And so, yeah. And so I, I, I just got peer reviewers together because I'm not an expert on everything. I'm, I'm really good at breaking language down to 8th to 10th grade language levels and comprehension levels. That's what I'm good at. Um, but that's the reading level we all prefer to read at. Um, so um, so I, I, I wrote these books and I didn't realize that I was writing for everyone, but it turned into I was writing for everyone very quickly. Um, and we've, we've, this, this, the second edition is back there. I'm working on the third edition right now because revision is the only way that we um, improve on any of these things. And so these are some of the peer reviewers. Um, Probably recognize Peter McCoy. That's Bill Mollison's grandson, Stuart Muir um, Wilson. Bill Mollison's grandson. Um, there's Jeff Lawton, you probably know. Do you guys know Neil Speckman? Yeah. Yeah. Neil's the guy that in Saudi Arabia um, was able to just with rainwater regenerate an entire dry watershed. Just rainwater. And they get three inches a year sometimes. Anyway, so I, I was really, really lucky to have all these incredible people participating, and then I continued to do things that like were unexpected. This is considered impossible to grow in America. William's growing my adaptation of it. So this, I adapted to California. Um, I had a hill, and I had a dark side of the hill, so I understood. And then I also proved that photoperiodism is actually jewels. So like, everyone's like, oh no, you need 12 hours, 12. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm working with five canopies of plant, and the bottom layer, I've got winter crops growing. And they're the best winter crops I ever grew. But it was the, it was the amount of light. They were getting enough diffused light that it felt like winter to them, despite the heat. They love the heat. So it's got like my best cauliflower, that kind of thing, best light, you know, brassica kind of thing. Um, entire like cabbage heads that just don't do well in the crazy heat of you know 120 to 100. Because I was water, well, we'll get there. So, yeah, see, I said we'd get there. So, not watered, 140. And by the way, this 50% thing always freaks me out because it's like 50 to zero, but that zero is arbitrary, huh? Um, but, but nonetheless, it, it works. Um, so it only lowers it like, like nothing when you just water. This is the thing that people don't understand. It's like when you have the mulch, you're not only protecting the soil life, you're, you're retaining the water and you're feeding the soil life and providing the, hy the, the, the hyphal network potentials, right, for the next layer. So this is another one of the things I was doing and people were like, how is this even possible? I had PBS like within a few months of me finishing like the, the PDC with Jeff Lawton come out and videotape my soils because people were sticking their arms up to their shoulders in my, in my soil and it was bulletproof dirt. What I learned was if you do the right things, diatomaceous, I mean, um, decomposed, um, yeah, DG, decomposed granite, like melts. And if you look at it under a microscope, it's all like, it looks like crystals and sand. It makes sense if you get the right biology, right? So anyway, super interesting stuff. Uh, that's that spot. So this is that September, four months later, all this has gone to seed. They're still green and it's already re-sprouting. How did it re-sprout? It knew. And this is the orange giant amaranth, so if any of you have seen that video of me, that's probably the most popular video that I'm known for, is the 12-foot giant amaranth plants. That's that same plant. And that's what it did. It basically was like, I'm so powerful that I can shrink and continue onward without any water. Yeah, I love plants. And then 2017, I came out with Regenerative Entrepreneurs and Educators. Um, it's now Regenerative Entrepreneurs and Experts and Permaculture Gardening. It was those two courses that allowed me to move my family from Missouri back to California. I had no money in the bank and we had to move. They were going to spray Roundup all around the house we were in the next week unless I somehow raised the money to rent the fields from them. And they didn't told me this until that spring. So I very quickly innovated. 
And then in 2017, I came up with the Advanced Permaculture Student Alliance. So this is the first PDC I ever did because it's the first time I felt like I was actually capable of doing it justice. Because everyone's doing PDCs, piece of paper, quickly get you in and out 71 hours, da 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 da, right? I wrote that book back there, that big fat book back there, because that's the actual information set we need to start with. And because that's the information set, 72 hours isn't enough. And so my course is over 160 hours. I've got 70 different educators involved. Um, and it's continuously expanding, and it's a community that's lifetime access, project-based, collaborative. So you have people in all contexts all over the world. Yeah, and many of you are here, actually. If, if you can raise your hand if you're a student of mine. Yeah, yeah, dream. That's epic. Everywhere I go now, everywhere I speak, there are students of mine in the audience now. And it's like there is over 1,200 live students in my online programs right now. And um, it's just unbelievably awesome. It's really exciting because this community is growing and becoming much, it, every day, it's like there's more professional questions asked, more collaboration, and more, really investment in, 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 in pathways to real change. So that course made more money than I'd ever made in a Kickstarter. It was like the most incredible thing ever. Um, and that funded the creation of these, uh, these books, the second edition of the Permaculture Student 2, and then the workbook that goes along with it, and the Regenerative Career Guide so that high school guidance counselors can actually showcase what's possible for these kids other than the mainstream pathway. And then this year, um, we've had a lot of health challenges and I've been refining the course and I'm doing a lot of video editing, a lot of work on that. But we've been doing a lot of healing. My wife um, is fighting cancer again for, depending on how you break it up, right? So she had, when the first melanoma hit, she had two spots of cancer. She, so it's either seven, eight, or nine different times that she's had cancer, but she's fighting cancer again right now. Um, and. We don't dwell on it, we, we dwell on the enthusiasm, on what makes us feel alive, because that's the linchpin in all the success stories. I don't know, I mean, I've heard there's someone that's in connection with William that survived bone cancer, um, but I've never met anyone else. And so we had to do create new protocols, I worked with teams of doctors, and um, we did things like DMSO and RSO and turmeric and active oxygen. If you don't know what activated oxygen is, it's a miracle. It's biological bleach and everyone should know what it is. Every mom should know what it is. Um, and yeah, everyone should know what it is. But there's just a lot of things that we were doing um, that, and then what I realized was enthusiasm was the linchpin and all that and all the healing and all the successes that we see out there. So anyway, that was like a personal, um, necessity for this year for me and my, my wife and my family. Um, and so right now, um, we're having the Advanced Permaculture Student Online um, start up with a new 10-month version. So I have a live course and it's self-paced so that everyone can, because I, <laughs> so I do things constantly different and my students can attest to this. I'm always changing things and asking like, hey, what if I did this? And they're like, that works for me. What if you did this? And then I'm like, okay, okay. What about this? And so like, I'm like the teacher that's always trying to like pretzel things and make things more accessible psychologically and, and with the educational um, psychology that goes into our development and our empowerment and what we consider like, what makes us feel intrinsically valued, you know what I mean? Integrity, all these kinds of things. I've been trying to deeply get into that and a lot of it is that lateral relationship, that allowing everyone to participate, everyone to be experts. And so that's a big part of this course is that everyone can be a teacher, can become an expert, can can be part of it all the way up. You know, there's no ceilings. <laughs> and then they're all, all, all my students are also able to become affiliates. So the, the academic bridge to the regenerative economy is essentially what I've been building. And that's what that course is. That's what all those books are. And this is the actual economy. And 
I do well in permaculture. We deal with ideas, and a lot of people are like, okay, that's great. I love permaculture, I love the ideas, but where's the actual? And so I've been like really working hard on creating that connection to the actual. So we go from theory to actual cited examples in nature that demonstrate those theories or abstractions, if you will, right? And then we start delving into how you can actually live, how you can actually make money. And it's so amazing to see these consistent examples at this, at this festival and in many of your businesses, many of your lives that you are also working on and seeing. It's these products, it's these lifestyle entry points into the economy that are actually going to foment change. Because this is how I see it. Our education system trains the workers for the economy. The economy powers our culture and informs our culture and empowers all the systems of inoculation. So if we can inoculate the education system and have it lead to a fungal pathway, a regenerative pathway, then it will start circling back and regenerating itself. And if we don't have that, that clear connection, we'll have what we have right now. <laughs> we have confusion, we have disconnection, we have depression. We have, I mean, the death, the, the, the life expectancy in America is dropping because of lack of meaning. I mean, let's be honest. It's from a lack of purpose and meaning. They're depressed, they're on drugs, they're, Committing suicide at such a high rate that um, it's lowering the life expectancy rate of our country. And it's because they're disconnected from natural processes and patterns and they don't have the ability. And I truly believe that they, they can have the ability if they learn the skills, but right now, I mean, have you heard of that concept, kids succeed when they can? There's no child that chooses to get an app and is like, if they could get an A, they would. And it's about giving them the opportunity on the growth paths that actually, like, they see themselves in, that actually takes things forward. And that's what's so powerful about what William's doing is he's really tried to create this mirror that we all can see all of our cultures in. So we're like, hey, that's me. And hey, that's me too. And, we, and, we, and then that allows us to also create a new culture because when multiple cultures are seeing themselves in one thing, that's unifying, that's building, that's actually the fabric of, 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 the, of our future. And that's what we're trying to do so often with social media and festivals like this. So what is permaculture in action? Seeing through nature's eyes and it's acting. I think that, I mean, I, I get caught up in this sometimes saying, even in my book, the green one, I say that permaculture is seeing the world through nature's eyes. It's a lens, and it is. But if we don't take action, it means nothing. So I really want to emphasize that the action is the, is the most important thing. And I think that you know when we look at permaculture plus mycology equals mycoculture, we are seeing the world through fungi's eyes. In the garden, we're recognizing that fungi is at the center of everything. We, we, we realize that our fruits, our old forests, our old growth are all tied up into the fungal side. And then we start seeing that there's all this balance and interplay between the fungal and bacterial, um, between the alkaline, the acidic. Um, and, then, and then we go even deeper and we're like, wait a second, microbacteria inside mycorrhizal fungi? Yeah, and so suddenly we're like seeing deeper and deeper and all these relationships keep going with that yin-yang. Get back to that one. Um, and then like King Strafaria, we're decomposing things in the garden, we're breaking things down, we're connecting things. Um, we're reinstating that mycorrhizal network. Did you guys know that despite the, all those talks about the worldwide web, or the world wood web and like the, the connection between the forests and stuff, that's kind of not really happening. Think about it for a second with me. They were all made in nurseries, all those Douglas fir pine trees. And they were grown in sterile soil. So they never had those fungal partners. And then they were planted. And so they're all like street trees that they don't know each other. They're just like the trees in, down the road, you know what I mean, in, in every main thoroughfare in the city. They're not connected. 
And so they don't have mothers. What happens in the wild is the trees give birth to their children, and then after they pass on, their root structures still continue to inform those children. That's why the children feed those stumps. They're feeding sugars to the roots of the, of the old stumps of the mother trees because there's genetic information still being exchanged. They're talking to mom or grandma. So it's really incredibly important that we like recognize that these things, like there's a lot of memes going on out there, but unless we dive into it and start getting into that complexity, you know what I mean, getting under the hood a little bit, we're not going to be able to respond in that way that will facilitate that holistic pattern to, to, to fill in. Um, have you guys heard of EM? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, effective microbes. So um, this obviously is not just fungi, but it does have yeasts in it, and it's this, this combination, this consortium power that we see that, that, that is really kind of a newer area. It's like the keeper grains. It's like they can digest things, they can track things, they can slow things down in the flow that just seem impossible. And it's because we're just getting to know all this stuff. And then the food forest. So this is a picture from um, one of my books. And he put the fungal layer here. I wanted it to be everywhere, but it's OK. Uh, at least my book, Food Forest, has a fungal layer. I, 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 I settled enough on that. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, in the food forest, I mean, this is what we commonly know. I mean, like everyone's growing like shiitake mushrooms. They're working with the fungal duck. They're working with wild mushrooms. Um, but in the home, we're starting to see people really start to get um, more creative with how they handle their waste, how they handle their nutrition and their medicine. Um, they're making um, alcohol that's medicinal. This is mead. Um, they're making medicines. Um, this is obviously uh, Ganoderma lucidum. Um, and lion's mane. You guys know about lion's mane? What, what goes on with that? You guys know about the molecular weight of lion's mane? The mo okay. So the molecular like weight is such that like these um, neuroregenerative like molecules can actually pass through the blood-brain barrier and then heal you of things that our current medication can't even touch without you operating on the brain. This is a, quite the pathway. And not only does it does lion's mane do this, but psilocybin does this and reishi, which probably means that more do it and we don't know yet. Um, but in my, in, in, in my, all right, so one of the things, if you look at Fun Day Magazine's article on this, they'll talk about how people who um, have had like radiation, other things happen. My wife had the radiation, was shot with holes that allowed those immune cells, immunological cells into her brain. And so when she's got these headaches, and I don't know if anyone here has ever had a headache that the painkillers just don't touch, and you're like, this makes no sense. My wife gets this all the time where it's like, it's in her, it's in her head. And this works like flipping a light switch. It's crazy. So if you have headaches, or you know someone with headaches, lion's mane tinctures can literally be life-changing. And yeah, like I said, we're, we're doing things more and more at home. We're, we're becoming, um, we're creating little sterile fields, <laughs> little laboratories, right? Um, we're uh, doing liquid culture mycelium. Um, we're, we're, we're basically on this track of creating our own medicine. And that's really like a cultural shift that I don't think is quite recognized because we're all kind of nervous to admit that we make our own medicine. <laughs> and this is a sign that is ready to punish you for that. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense that we're a little nervous, right? But, but nonetheless, this is the trend, is that the medicine from the doctors is not as effective as the medicine we can make at home sometimes. Not always, believe me. My wife has no thyroid. She's had to go on the natural thyroid stuff for a little while and had to go back to Synthroid. And oh, Synthroid is the most um, prescribed drug in America. Think about that. All our thyroids are messed up. Think about that. And then think about the fact that they send all those grandmothers from all that time home on the subway that were radioactive for six months. Everything they touched was radioactive for six months. 
They did this systematically all over the country for decades. So, think about that. Like, we've been messing with each other's thyroids with radiation that's all over everything and just being littered everywhere. Um, and so we all have to do, like, maintenance work even if we're, like, doing our best. Because there's all these factors that you can't see in our rain and our water and surfaces we touch that are serious, life-altering factors. So yeah, get that t-shirt on. Um, and then eat it, right? I mean, so much of this stuff is so easy because you can get all these like immunological uh, like things happening, wonderful benefits happening in your food. And by the way, I'm just gonna go on a tangent. Do you guys know about Wim Hof and about how like he was injected with E. coli and through breathing unlocked a non-immunological response that came out of his bones and destroyed the E. coli in his blood? There's something below the immune system that is in our bones that actually can fight things. So suppressing the immune system and then activating something else is might, might be what we want in the future. Anyway, I love tangents. Um, so obviously cognitive function, I grabbed this from their website. They're doing a wonderful job of showcasing what's possible with food. Um, I really like their recipes um, because it's like we really need to showcase how to do this stuff for it to become cool. And obviously foraging and then compost. Are we all inoculating our paper waste? We can. And then feed it to the worms and make soil. It's just that easy. Oyster does a great job. Um, and then like trichoderma in your compost, it's like a big deal. It really helps like break things down well. And all you do is, you know, you have those leftover uh, coffee grinds that you were like sure you were gonna do something with. But now they've got this green mold on them. That's trichoderma. Just put it in your compost now. And you won the war. You did it. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then all the mushroom waste, all the substrate, all that can become amazing compost. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but like, People that are trained with Elaine and Elaine herself are always looking for like mushroom substrate to add in because thermophilic compost is always, for the most part, bacterial dominant or leaning. Um, and that's why KNF farming is so powerful because of the fungal counts are so high in comparison to thermophilic. Which makes sense because you're in a moldering sense, right? You're letting the mycelium do a lot of that work. All right, and then in combating insects, pests, and mold, and more. Okay, okay. Do you guys know about cutting A's? Yes. Woo! We are friends, right? <laughs> so, fungi are made, like the cell walls are chitin. Cool, right? So would be the exoskeletons of the arthropods, right? Arthropods, uh, jointed legs. Um, those are our pests. And then the molds, the mildews, they're all fungi too meaning their cell walls are made of chitin. So, in composting, when you break down a chitin-based organism, you need chitinase. So when you're doing the compost, something in there is creating chitinase to break that down. And there's chitinase in your compost now. So if you're digesting this stuff, you're already creating it. And, and by the way, if you're like, where does that come from, Matt? When we create compost heaps, the thermophiles aren't there. And then it gets up to 10, there they are. That's really why it's kind of like wild when we get into this, because we don't know where they're coming from. They are there. And they appear, and then they, they bow out. And so this chitin-digesting enzyme will appear when you're breaking down your compost substrate, when you're maybe you're working with insect frats and having your worms digest it, same thing. Then you, what you would do is make compost tea with it. And then you spray it on there and digest them. So in other words, you can take that chitinase-rich compost tea and spray it on your diseased plants and cure them. Spray it on those pests, the bugs, and digest them. And, and you move on. And hopefully you, you make your soils healthy enough that you don't need to do that again. Um, 
But this is all information coming from someone who actually was able to reverse bark beetle, like die off, like in trees. So like the trees look dead. And meanwhile, he's injecting this into the ground root layer and the trees are literally shooting out the eggs of the bark beetle through the bark with, with sap. They're just like, and it's, and it's this ability for our plants and our, all these things to rebound that is tied up in fungi. The reason we have sudden plants, like plants just suddenly die off, it's the endophytic fungi going, oh, now's the time, clock. And it's like those pathways go all different directions. We just need to start partnering with nature and exploring those pathways, and we'll have unbelievable things happen. Miracles, uh, you know, miraculous things can happen. So, right, arthropod skeletons, chitin-based mold, mildews, um, and processing waste. So, all that yard waste could be turning into beautiful soil. Think about this, if you just had like a bokashi kind of mix or like a, a fungal inoculant mix that is just for leaf mold. Like if that was your business, you're like, oh no, take that leaf mold down in all my weeks with the, you know what I mean? Like people would go for that. And then suddenly, anyway, new business for you. All right, and then EM1 also is participating in all this. Um, because EM1 works in water and in soil. Um, and what it does essentially, it's really fascinating actually. So. You might have people at Radical Mycology uh, Conversions that talked about this. I was managing the panel between Quattamook and Rascal about this. And it was said that EM makes things go away. And then we had a great conversation about how it could only go into inert carbon chains or into colloids or a third pathway we don't know about. Um, and, and it really is doing that though. It's really able to handle our waste and they've proven that the nitrogenous compounds that we have in our waste get fermented into amino acids. And so those are plant like readily available, you know what I mean, to absorb and take in and use. Um, and that's essentially what's happening with all nitrogen fixation. They're not getting nitrogen from those nodules in the legumes and the other nitrogen fixing plants. That's just amino acids, and they only receive them when the nodule is full. It's an investment, and then they only take the surplus. <laughs> All right, so bioregional food, fiber, fuel, building materials, energy, and medicine. At every step of this, this equation, we have fungi. Um, from the biodigester to the compost, to the health of the people, the animals, and the plants. And then, I just want to like dip my toe in this a little bit. So. The third edition of my book, I take out the word dominant, because you know Elaine's whole thing with it, it's fungal dominant, dominant, and like, and then like bacterial dominant. It it, it screws up like it, there's too much there. Like the word dominant has like a lot of package with it. So I'm like trying to like 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 fix that and everything. But at the same time, we're also seeing that there's like so much complexity. We're seeing that like we go further, and there's like oh well. I thought it was bacteria that established first. It's like, well, not without fungi doing this for that bacteria. And it's like, oh, okay. And so we're continuously going deeper and deeper and finding that our universe does this. Just like that pattern at the beginning where everything is connected, where that pattern, the small, micro, is also the macro. We're seeing this over and over again with fungi bacteria. Actually, let's go tangential for a second. You guys have heard of ice seven? Okay, so there's a new form of water. We found it by drilling as far as we could into the like the, the center of the earth as far as we could before the drill started melting. And we found water down there, a new form of water. And there's tons of it and it's alive. So our water is not this like big molten rock. It's actually like living waters beneath the surface. And they're like a different form of water, a diamondized form of water, and it's a beautiful life. Totally different per like perspective. I love it. And this is only like the past like few years. So I feel like this is gonna continue to happen where if you're seeing the connections go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's okay, as long as we understand that this is what's going on and that it's a pattern. So in remediation, we also see this, but we need to ask ourselves, where are this straw, where is this, uh, these mulch uh, bedding and all these chips coming from? Because they're all gonna carry contaminants with them. And so we need to remediate these things before we're like necessarily eating out of them um, or using them. 
We need to be asking questions like what degradation, what toxins, and what plants partner with them, um, like um, Earth Repair, I think is the book. Um, there's a good list in that one, but we need so many more books like that that are bioregional that are focused on native indigenous plants and, and, and pathways so that people everywhere can, um, at no cost, can start remediating land. Um, and then what fungal partners, right? Then in construction, fabric and design, we saw some amazing folks here that are doing stuff with fabric and, and especially design. I love the fact that mycology and like, the design stuff that you guys do is like modern in many ways. You know what I mean? It's like, don't get me wrong, I love permaculture. I'm all with it. But the art sometimes is Grateful Dead. Not hippie, but Grateful Dead specifically. And it's like, like when William was talking about that one poster, he was like, it's beautiful, but we don't want to hit that button too hard. So like you all have, like are hitting the button so well. Like you're the design, like the, and not, not saying you can't be grateful that art, you don't get upset, I'm so sorry. Um, but, but the balance and the mix is what we need. It's that multicultural, diverse point of view that, that's showing that, hey, it's me, but it's also you, it's also grandma. And it's like, you know what I mean? Seeing all of ourselves in it is so critical. So that's why I say that. Um, mushroom leather, that's gonna be, that's going to be huge. Um, in medicine, we talked about this. This is my uh, my tincture. That's the lion's mane, reishi, making it happen. Of course, the cordyceps, medicinal. Saw those. Did you guys see this out there? This is wild to me. All right, uh, and then mushroom milk. Tangent. Okay. So, do you guys know about mushroom milk? It's a new protocol. It's patented, but it's like like open source, like, you can look this up. So this is a new protocol for greater efficacy and greater uh, potency in uh, medicinal medicine. And they're doing nut milk with mushrooms, right? So they're doing, they're doing water, a little bit of oil to like help like carrier things. And then they're just like pressing it through. They're putting it in a blender, a high power blender, and then pressing it through in that, breaks the cell walls. Why do we cook all mushrooms in order to make them bioavailable? Those pesky cell walls. But if you're breaking them with a high-powered blender, just like they would when they do like, like DNA testing, right? They're like blending it up so that it actually is all like, like mixed up and they can actually access it all. It's the same thing. There are examples in this patent that you'll read about people with fars, people with Lyme, people with um, uh, neurodegenerative issues, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, Parkinson's, MS, all profoundly affected by this. Like people who had like shakes were able to not. You know what I mean? Like this is a food. This is a food that we're able to do this. So this is a miracle and so much of my stuff I feel like I have to say because otherwise like something might happen in your life and then like a gift that I could have given you that would have like helped you, you didn't get. So I always wanna like mention all this stuff, have all my tangents in there. It is beautiful too. That's, that's lying to me. Okay, all right. <laughs> So that was a whirlwind of information, right? So let's circle back. I'm really focused on getting us to see our world through these lenses so that it is our birthright and really the expectation that every human being can live regeneratively. That we take care of each other. That we take care of the earth as just a way of living. It's just a, a lifestyle that brings you joy and happiness and meaning. And that, I mean, that's why I'm focused on the K through 12 because I believe that's like the greatest point of, uh, of linchpin um, is inoculating that group. But everywhere permaculture goes, there's fungi. So if we're following fungi, we will invariably be discovering new things about permaculture. Inventing new things about permaculture. Discovering new scientific connections between different things. 
So we want a regenerative culture. We want a mycologically rooted culture. That means a secessionally mycelial culture. So what we really want is this overlapping understanding, right, of oneness, pattern recognition, of the wholeness, holism. But it's still just an abstraction unless it's an action. Because when it's an action, we are it. This idea that we're not nature is made up. When we act in accordance with nature, we are nature. We are regeneration. So make it an action. The things that you learn in body become. <laughs> this is my little one. And it's really about facilitating the growth and the succession of all biodiversity and the future generations of fungi. That's what fungi is doing. And that's what we need to do too. So I'm Matt Powers. The permaculturestudent.com is me. I'm also on YouTube and social media, so you can find me there. Podcast. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, a regenerative future on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm on Instagram. And then in October, we're starting up live again. We've got over 650 members. And lots of people love it. They say it's the best permaculture course in the world. They said it's changed their lives. Best course they've ever taken. And my gift to you all is that purple book back there in digital form. If you go to my website and just type in download-ps2-free, you can download the PDF of that book and then keyword search anything and then the best part is you can go and click on my citation and then click on the link and go read the actual data and say oh my word this is how they did the experiment because that's the most important part is to understand the principles in action so that's where comprehension came from so thank you so much for coming and megan is awesome <laughs>